the Amalekites have wrecked their village. They've burned everything down to the ground, and they've taken all the women and children that were in the village. They, they didn't kill anyone, but they took them all away. So David, his heart becomes very heavy. He's very sad. His men who are with him, they get very upset. It says that they weep until they can weep no more. And then it says that his men start to get angry at David. Well, you told us to leave. We're following you. And look what happened. We follow you in faith, believing that you're hearing from God. And we come back and everything's been taken. What are you going to do about it? They start to get mad. So then it says right there that David found strength in the Lord. And then in verse... uh, Let's look at verse 8. It says, Then David asked the Lord, or he inquired of the Lord, Should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So then it talks about how six, him and 600 of his men, they leave and they, go, they start to go out. He, he wasn't told where to go, you understand. He's just following God's direction. God said, Go. And he says, Okay. Now, before I go any further, I, I want to show you. It said, David asked the Lord a question. And the Lord told him the answer. It's that easy. God will actually talk back to you when you ask him a question. And even if it doesn't come immediately, even if right then, if I say, God, I need to know what's 10 times 10. And he doesn't just like write the answer on your paper for you. That may not happen. But I promise you, if you go to God with a sincere request or question or needing direction from the Lord, be expecting an answer because he will tell you something. All right, so he told David, yes, go after them, and surely you'll recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his men, they go, they take off. They're just, he said, go, so I'm going. I don't know exactly where I'm going. I don't know exactly where the Malachites have gone, but I'm going to go find them. So he starts to go. They come across a, a, a field, and in this field is an Egyptian slave. It's one of the Amalekite slaves. They left him there to die. He got sick. So David helps this man, revives him, gives him food, and gives him water, and then finds out, oh, you're an Amalekite slave. Lead me to them. You know exactly where they're, where they're going. You know right where their camp is. Lead me to them. So then he promises he's not going to hurt this slave and he's going to let him go. And the slave brings him right to the Amalekites' camp. And let's look at what happens. Verse 18 says, David got back everything the Amalekites had taken. And he rescued his wives. Back then he had two. We don't do that. Just clear. He, the, there was a big misunderstanding in the Old Testament. They weren't supposed to take more than one wife. That started going, that's a whole nother message. One wife, okay? Let's clarify that. If you have questions, come talk to me after. (laughs) Nothing, verse, okay, verse 19, nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds and the men that drove them ahead of the uh, other livestock. So right there, I want to show you that when you go to God and you have a question, you need help, you have a situation that's just too big for you, you go to God and you say, God, I need some help in this. I need you to send me somebody. I need you to send me an answer. I need you to give me a plan how to do this. And it says, especially whenever something's gone wrong in your life, maybe your village in your life has been plundered, so to speak. Your house is just in ruin or wreck or your finances or your marriage, your relationships. It says right here that just like David was able to recover all, You can have that in your life too. God wants you to recover everything that the devil has stolen from you and then some. He wants you to be blessed. He doesn't want plunder. He he doesn't want uh, people to come and to wreck and to ruin and burn burn down your life. He wants you to recover all. All right, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we're going to skip over to 2 Samuel. We're looking at David again. 2 Samuel 5, 17. 
It says, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king, they mobilized all their army to go and capture him. But David was told they were coming, so he went to the stronghold. The Philistines arrived, and they spread out across the valley. And then David asked the Lord, again, verse 19, David asked the Lord, should I go fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied to David, don't be surprised when God answers you back. Yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. So then it says he defeats the Philistines and he gives God glory. He says the Lord did it and the Philistines are pushed back. But then a certain amount of time passes and it says the Philistines, uh, after a while, verse 22, the Philistines return and again spread out across the valley. And David again comes to the Lord and says, God, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said, do not attack them straight on, the Lord replied. Instead, circle around behind them and attack them from the poplar tree. When you hear the sound of marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, be on the alert. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you and will strike down the Philistine army. So David did what the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way uh, to Gezer, to Gibeon and to Gezer. So right there, it, it says God said, yes, you're going to go, and you're going to conquer. You're going to win here, but I got a plan. I got a strategy. Don't go straight on like you did last time. We're going to do something different here. It says go around from behind. You stand and you wait by these trees. And when you hear a noise in the top of the tree, he gives them very detailed strategic plan of attack here. So whenever you go to God and say, God, I need your help. God will not only give you a plan, he'll give you a strategic step-by-step -step plan that may seem weird. What do you mean I'm supposed to go around from behind the army? I'm supposed to stand by a certain tree and listen to it and listen for a shaking, and then I know you're going? Yeah. Sometimes it may not all seem like it's making sense, but God is in control, and he, needs no, he knows what he's doing here. It says that David, he did what the Lord commanded, and he struck down the entire Philistine army all the way to Gibeon and Gezer. So a long way, he pushed that army all the way back. He struck them down. All right, 1 Chronicles 10, verse 1 through 14. We're going to look at that for a minute. Excuse me. We're going to flip over Samuel, Kings, and then Chronicles. Or you can just follow along the screen behind me. I like paper. I like to bring my Bible and flip the pages. I know you can, what is it called, scan or scroll on the iPhone? It's funny, I'm, I was teaching my mom and dad about they got new iPhones for Christmas. And so I'm trying to tell them you scroll. If you never had an iPhone, what is scrolling? What does that mean? Swipe, scroll, two-finger swipe, what is all that? I, I, I do like my paper, my paper Bible. All right, First Chronicles 10. It's funny, huh? Just wait. Just wait about 20 more years, and then your kids are going to be coming up with words and saying things. You're like, what happened to just scrolling? And swiping. <laughs> All right. Verse 10, verse 1, chapter 10 says, Now the Philistines attacked Israel. Sorry, I don't want to have to read all of this real quick. Uh, I'm going to skip down to the bottom here. Now what happened, this is at the end of King Saul's life. And Saul, he missed it way, way back in before David really even came into his, his life, before David had played the harp way back. If you look back in 1 Samuel Saul started to get filled with pride and jealousy. And there's one time when he was told to go and to wipe out the Amalekites. And, and so uh, Samuel told him, God's telling you to go and wipe out the Amalekites. You go and, and you kill everything, kill their livestock, kill all of the people and the king. And so he goes and he plunders everything and he takes all the good stuff, him and his men, capture all the good calves, all the gold, all the silver, and they kill everybody except the king and they bring it back. And he thinks he's done a good thing, but he didn't obey God. And he kept this stuff for himself 
himself. And so that's, there's a moment there where God says, you know, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king because greed and pride started to slip into his heart from that point. And then when David came into his life, uh, David was good at everything because the Lord was with him. He had a heart after the Lord. And so Saul started to get jealous of that. So there's many times where it talks about how Saul, he kind of goes crazy. He's mentally tormented, it says. So here at the end of his life, it says in verse 13, So Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He failed to obey the Lord's command, and he even consulted a medium. He, he went to a soothsayer. What do we call him? A palm reader. He went to a palm reader. A psychic. Yeah, don't call him. Instead of asking the Lord for guidance. And then if you keep reading, it says, So the Lord killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Now I want to say one thing about this where it says the Lord killed him. If you look up a couple verses, what happened was Saul knew that the Philistine army was closing in on, in on him at the end of his life. And he, he laid on his sword. He killed himself. But the Lord did not intervene. And the reason why the Lord did not intervene is because Saul was leading this entire nation in the wrong direction. And so God said, my hands are tied. I'm, I'm not intervening here. And so Saul killed himself. He, God didn't intervene. All right, let's look at Second Chronicles 26. This is what Kevin was talking about just a minute with Uzziah. It's still first Chronicles. Second Chronicles 26. So verse 3 says, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. Uh, verse 4, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight just as his father had done. And he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. I want to stop right there. For all you moms and dads, it takes somebody to teach the children or to teach young people how to fear the Lord. And fear right here is not talking about I'm afraid or I'm in terror of God. God's going to strike me down. Don't do that. Don't tell your kids that. Don't say, God's going to strike you down if you do that. That's not the kind of terror that he's talking about. That's the wrath of God that comes for judgment for people who don't know Jesus, who don't have Jesus in their heart. They should be a little afraid when, when they're on their deathbed if you don't have Jesus in your heart because you're drawing close to judgment, and that is a scary thing. But when you have Jesus in your heart, it says you don't have to be afraid. The fear of the Lord he's talking about is, is actually a, a holy, respect and awe, a reverence for God. That has to be taught. Just like right here, it says Zechariah taught Uzziah at 16 how to fear the Lord. And so one way that in our household, and our kids are five and seven right now, and, and we say prayers together as a family. And there's been times when my five-year-old has ants in her pants, you know, and she just can't sit still. And, and I work with that. I know she's learning. I know how long she can sit still. And, and there is a certain amount, that I, a standard that I hold her to. But when I know I've reached that standard, I'm not going to uh, get frustrated or get upset with her because she is just five. But there's a time the other night when we were praying, and she was blatantly being disrespectful and flopping all over the floor. And so I halted everything, and I brought her back, and I said, you will sit here and you will be respectful. We're talking to God right now. Now, I can't make her pray. I can't say, now say this. Now say this. I would never want to introduce prayer as a form of punishment, you understand? But I can make her have respect for what's going on right now. Okay, you don't want to partake. You're not going to say this. Fine. But you're not going to interrupt us from doing this as a family. And you're going to be present. You're going to respect God right now, and you're going to respect what's going on. Amen. Amen. It's true. All right, so thank you. Amen for Thank you. <laughs> okay. 
Um, so right after that, it says that he was taught to fear God, and as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. So then it goes on to talk about how he starts to fortify the city, and he puts these contraptions, it says, on top of the towers that can shoot things, and he's got these great ideas that come from God. It actually says that Uzziah had an army of well-trained warriors ready to march unit by unit. Uh, and then it, if you go down to verse 16, 16 it says, um, he became powerful. Hang on one second. I forgot where I underlined it in my other Bible. Okay, we'll just see up to verse 16. It says, when he became powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. So right there, what happened was he had sought the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. He prayed, God, give me ideas. Help me be the best king that I can be. But then once he started to be the best king that he could be, he was a great king, a strong king. He started saying, I am good. I got this. I fortified this city. I am powerful. I am the most powerful. He start, pride started to come in, and it actually led to his downfall because right after that it talks about how he goes into the temple and he wants to make his own sacrifice or offering. He starts to burn incense in there when that was a no-no. You were only supposed to let the priest go in and do that for you. And so right there it talks about how he goes in. He was holding an incense burner, and he became furious, and he was standing there raging at the priests. He's mad at them because they're trying to stop him. He's saying, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? And you're trying to tell me what to do? It says that suddenly leprosy broke out on his forehead. And then the high priests and all the other priests saw the leprosy. They rushed him out, and the king himself started to run because he realized, oh, no, I've done it now. I just crossed that line with God. So it says that he died with leprosy. From that day on, he had leprosy. So it's good to seek the Lord. But you, when God starts to give you the things that you're asking for, if it's success, if it's direction, don't forget about where you came from. Don't forget about how you got there. I can't tell you how many times I've seen how people will pray for a job, you know, and they just don't, they don't have everything they need. They don't have all the finances, and they're praying for direction in their life. And there will be a season of their life where they're on their knees just inquiring of the Lord, saying, God, teach me, God, show me, God, lead me. And then one, once God leads them there, they're like, see ya. I got everything I need. I'm doing great. And they just, they just kick God out the back door. And they think they did it all themselves. It says right here, when Uzziah did that, he became leprous. That's a dangerous place to be. I don't want to be there. Jeremiah 33 3 says, call unto me and I will answer thee. And the Amplified, it says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things, fenced in and hidden, which you do not know, do not distinguish, and you don't recognize, and you have no knowledge of them, and you don't even understand them yet. So when you call to God, he's already got a plan. He's already got certain things maybe fenced in over here in this area for you. He's gotten certain things that are hidden over here for you. So when you listen to what he's telling you to do and you go the direction, that thing that was hidden, it's actually right in your path when you start following him. God will answer you when you call on him. He's not going to send you to voicemail and then follow up with a text an hour later. I wrote that down. I was thinking about that. How many times have you done that? Somebody calls you in the middle of something. You're in the middle of your favorite show. And you're like, oh, voicemail. No. And then you, you see that they call and you're like, hey, I saw you call. What do you need? I wanted to talk to you. I didn't want to get sent to voicemail and then get a text an hour later. God's not going to do that. He's always ready to talk to you. And you know, he's not tied up. If he's talking to me, guess what? He can talk to you at the same time. It's amazing. He's God. He's pretty cool like that. All right, Matthew 7, 8 and 7, or 7 and 8, sorry. 
Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Now right there, there's a couple key things I want you to look at. He says, ask. There is a part that you have to play. There is something that you have to do. When you are inquiring of, or it says um, up in in the beginning, it, it talks about Uzziah, how he sought the Lord. Sought is actually a verb. It's an action word. It's a past tense of the word seek. There's an action that he's having to do there. So there's something that you having to do. You can't just say, I'm waiting on the Lord. Just waiting. There's times when you do have to wait on the Lord, but there's also times when you have an action you do. You seek and you inquire of. How do you do that? You get before the Lord. There's scriptures that talk about where you get in your, in your secret place where it's just you and God and you just talk to him. Just like David did. God, uh, Philistines are attacking. Uh, what do you want me to do now? You want me to go? Want me to stay? Want me to go behind? Want me to stand by the trees? He'll give you something real clear. And all of our, our biblical examples that you'll ever look at, they all speak to the Lord. Now, I, and I know a lot of people are, are taught to, to pray silently. And not that God can't answer silent prayer, but all the examples that I've ever looked at, they all say that they spoke to the Lord. They had a conversation, and God spoke back to them. So you should definitely use your voice to speak. In verse 11, it says, God wants to give you good gifts, but you have to ask. He actually knows, knows what you have need of before you even ask him, but he still requires us to ask him. All right, let's look at the Lord's Prayer. Most people are pretty familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 9. Excuse me. Sorry. I feel like I'm on a game and I'm running to the bench to get my, my water bottle and I'm running back in the game. Here we go, I'm back in the game. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus is talking here, and he says, pray like this. I'm going to read it up here. Therefore, pray, or my Bible says, pray like this. The first part, he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So right there, he's talking to his Father in heaven. He knows who he's talking to. And I encourage you, before you even decide to pray, one of the best things to do, let me, let me, I'm going to read something to you. You don't have to flip back over there. In 2 Samuel, there's one part where David is talking to the Lord. And one reason why it was so easy for David to talk to God was because he knew God so well. He could say anything to God. He could ask God anything. He could complain to God. And there's definitely times when he complains to God. If you ever feel like you need to complain to God, it's okay okay, just don't stay there. Don't stay in the complaint department. You got to move on out and say, okay, okay, I got that out of my system. Now I'm ready. I'm listening. What's the plan? What have you got for me? And right here it says that David is, is giving God a song of praise. He sang this, this song to the Lord on the day the Lord rescued him from all of his enemies and from Saul. And he sang, and it goes on and on. I encourage you, make a note, write that down and read that. Second Samuel chapter 22 is his whole song. This is a pretty in-depth song. It says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my savior, my God, in whom I find protection. He's my shield. He's the power that saves me. He's my place of safety. He's my refuge. He's my savior. He's the one who saves me from violence. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. And that's just the 
first four sentences, and it goes on for 51 sentences. That's a song. So right there you can see he knew God. He spent time with God. He knew who he was talking to. So whenever you go into this prayer right here that Jesus is talking to you, I encourage you, get some of these scriptures out first and know who you're even talking to. So when you stand up and you have a request because you've got this huge challenge, a big problem in your life, you know who you're asking. You know he's got this. You know he's going to take care of it. So then when you stand to pray, it's easy. I can ask you for anything. You're the one who saves me. You're my victory. You're my rock. You're my protection. You're my shield. Has nothing to do that I missed it yesterday. I failed last week. Has nothing to do that, that I got wrong thinking in my mind. It's all about you right now. You're well able. So first of all, Jesus kind of gives us a little diagram to follow when we pray in this, the Lord's Prayer. That's why we're looking at it. So first of all, he knows who he's talking to. He's talk, he talks to his God. That's actually not number one, but I want to make sure you do that. Number one is actually when it says, hallowed be thy name. Right there, he's giving honor and praise to God. Before he asks God for anything, number one, he knows who he's talking to. He goes in with boldness and assurance of faith. And, and David, you understand, he missed it many times. David, he, he cheated, he stole, he killed people. He was not perfect, but yet his heart, he had a heart after God. And when you pray, one way that it's so easy for me, I know, to stand there before God knowing that I have missed it. And in some places, I am very weak, but I know God. And my heart loves God. I love him with everything that I have. So when I come to him in prayer, it's an easy thing for me to stand there. Because it has nothing to do with me. One thing we're going to look at in a minute is that you don't consider yourself. When you stand before God and praying, you only consider him. You only consider his ability. You only consider that he's God of the universe. I got a problem. He's a man to go to. He can fix this. You don't consider, I failed. I'm weak here. I missed it there. I completely messed up that over there. You don't consider any of that whenever you go to him in prayer. Okay, so number two, though, was... Sorry if I'm jumping around. I apologize. Number two is you honor him and you give him praise and you give him respect. And so he says right here, say, hallowed be thy name. My, my Bible says, oh, I flipped wrong. Anyway, we'll keep going. New Living's good too if you want to check out New Living version. Hallowed be your name. So he gives him honor. Hallowed means honor as holy. Praise. Give him respect. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as it is on earth, um, as it is in heaven. And then number three is, he says, give us today our daily bread. So number three, you can put ask for blank, and you fill in the blank. Whatever you need from God, you can ask him. You can ask him. God, I got a need here. Ask for blank. You go ahead and fill in the, fill in the blank right there. And then number four, it says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or forgive others. So number three, number three. Did I say that right? Yeah, number three is forgiveness. You ask for forgiveness. It's important when you pray. The Bible says that you have to forgive other people so that God can forgive you. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, it interrupts your prayer relationship with God. It inter interrupts your communication with God. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, God can't even hear you. He wants to. He wants to. But he says, look, you've got to deal with that before I can help you because I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you of everything. And who are you to stand there and, and hold unforgiveness in your heart towards that other person? I sent Jesus to die for you, and you're a sinner. You've messed up all kinds of ways, and I forgave you. You should definitely be able to forgive the person next to you. That's, that's God's take on it. Okay, so number three was forgiveness and forgive others. 
And then it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So number four is direction. Ask God for direction. Ask God for the plan. You've got a problem. You just ask him for, I've got this need. I've got this need. I I need forgiveness. I'm forgiven, oh, so-and-so from 52 years ago, and they call me a bad name, and I've held that grudge. I'm asking for forgiveness. Now, God, give me a plan. Give me a specific strategy on how I can, how I can challenge, make this challenge victorious. Whatever it is you're going through in your life, God wants to give you a strategic plan, just like sneaking up from behind, standing by the tree and waiting for it to shake. God's got a special plan just for you too. All right, I had a couple other scriptures that were really, if you want to write it, next to number one, where it talks about, in, in the Lord's Prayer, it says going, going in with, with um, honor and praise and respect. In Psalms 100, verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So that's the protocol for going before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Number one, it says, Enter his gates. You can't even come, the, come through the gates yet until you're thankful. And then it says, Into his courts with praise. So the way to come before God, because he's your father. He loves you so much, but he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of the universe. So he does deserve a certain amount of respect. You go in with thanksgiving and praise. And then by, uh, oh, in Mark eleven twenty five has to do with forgiveness, if you want to look that up on your own time. Uh, Mark eleven twenty five says, when you stand praying, forgive. Um, so that's good. Now, number five, we're on number five now, because those first four out of this diagram for prayer, uh, they, I pulled those out of the Lord's Prayer when you look at the Lord's Prayer. But number five is one that's really important that the Lord put on my heart is John 15, verse 7. says, remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask what you want and it will be done for you. So right there he talks about his words. Your Bible's very important. It's not just some book. It's a special book. It's the living word of God. So there's something, too, when you open up that page or when you come and you hear somebody teaching from the word of God, both equally important. It's it's important that you sit at home by yourself and you take your time with God and say, I'm going to read a page now or I'm going to read five verses right now. Start somewhere. Start somewhere getting the word in you. It says you remain in me and my words remain in you. Then Ask what you will, and it will be done for you. So there's something about the Word of God, getting the Word in you, and then praying with the Word. You go before God and say, God, you said that when I forgive other people, you forgive me. So I know you're not mad at me. I completely missed it yesterday. I fell off the wagon. I I cursed that lady out. You know, I I, I missed it here. I I stole whatever it is. I'm forgiven so-and-so. Now, God, I'm asking you for forgiveness, and your Word says that you forgive me and that you remove my sins as far as the east is from the west. It's hard for you to go before God and boldly declare something that you're not sure is actually yours. So when you open your Bible and you start finding out what God has to say about the situation, it makes it so much easier and so much more fun to come before him and say, God, your word says, so I'm expecting you to keep up with your word. I'm expecting for you to to keep your word and to do what you said you're going to do. Amen. So pray using his word was number five. And then number six was from John 16, 23. It says, ask the Father in my name. So when you pray, 
it's powerful when you use the name of Jesus. And I know you've heard us do it. We do it here all the time. Every time I pray, and, and I prefer just how I am. I just prefer when at the end of my prayer I say, in Jesus' name, amen. In his name. Or lots, I've heard people start off saying, oh, Lord, we come to you now, and I'm praying in the name of Jesus, and I'm praying for this. Well, that's fine. However you want to stick it in there, there's not any certain wrong or right way. But it is important, and it's powerful when you use Jesus' name because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you're tapping into his authority when you pray in his name. It's, it's funny because when, when people pray and they don't use the Lord's name, I feel like, oh, you should have thrown that in there because that's, man, that's power right there. You're praying with his authority, not your own, because you don't have any authority. But when you say in Jesus' name, there's authority and there's power there. So it's, it's important to use the name of Jesus when you pray. All right, Romans 4.19. This is important. I want everybody to look at this one. Mm-hmm. Romans 4.19. Back in the game. All right, so right here it's talking about Abraham. And I'm going to skip back up to 18. This is important. I want you to get this, put a star by it. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, when God tells you something, write it down. Don't forget it. It's important. And he said, it says right here, Abraham remembered God had said to him, that's how my, many descendants you will have. Whenever he looked up into the stars, he says, you're going to be a father of many nations. And he remembered what God said. It says, verse 19, And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age he figured his body was as good as dead. Another translation says, He considered not his own body. Or he considered it, then he considered it not. And so Sarah's womb as well, because she was 90. He was 100, she was 90. And then in verse 20, it says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteousness, as righteous. So when you believe God, you say, God, I know you. I know what you did for David. I know what you did for Abraham. I know what you did for Paul. I, I know what Jesus said. I believe you. I believe your word. It says right there, it's counted unto you as righteous. You are in right standing with God. You can ask the king of kings for whatever you want because y'all like this. You are righteous. You're in right standing with him. But I like the part where it says, even though he was about 100 years of age, he looked at himself and he said, yeah. God can do it. The problem is, a lot of times, we look at ourselves and we consider our own circumstance. And we consider what's back there, what we did yesterday, what we may have done this morning before you even came, where you missed it. You consider your failures. You consider all your shortcomings. And then you go before God and it's like, God, I really need you to work in this. But I'm not worthy. I don't really deserve that. Why am I even asking that? That's too big. That's too much. Are you kidding? He's your father. He wants you to have blessing beyond belief. He's God. He's your father. And he can do it. He can fix any problem. The problem is we consider our own selves. And, and we push ourselves 
out of the blessing. We push ourselves out of receiving that answer from God. It's like we go before God saying, God, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to inquire of the Lord. I'm going to seek you. And then you start thinking, oh, who am I to even be standing before God right now? I need to get on my face. You might strike me down. No, 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 no. Consider not your own failures, your own weaknesses. Consider not your own situation or circumstance that may look impossible. I have a funny story for you. Yesterday, um, my kids like to have pancakes on Saturdays. So I told Noble all week, I, Kevin was out of town. I told him, I said, yeah, we're going to have pancakes on Saturday, especially when Kevin's out of town. I'm, I'm rough, you know, trying to get everything done. And so I told Noble, we're going to have them on Saturday. Well, I forgot to go to the store and get eggs. So when I got everything out of the cabinet and I was going to make pancakes, I needed one little egg <laughs> to make those pancakes. So Ansley was still asleep, and Noble had just gotten up, and he's sitting there watching TV. He's like, yes, Mom's making pancakes, because I got up, and I told him I was going to make pancakes. I said, son, there's one little thing. He says, what? We're not having pancakes. I said, no, we can, but we need an egg. And I had texted my next-door neighbor. I said, can I borrow one egg, please? And she said, sure, send the kids over. And so I went over to Noble. I said, Noble, I need you to run. How far is it from here to there? 50 yards. 50 yards from here to there, not far. I said, I just need you to walk next door. Put your flip-flops on, walk next door. She's at the door. She's going to hand you the egg. And he goes, you go get it. <laughs> I said, how bad do you want these pancakes? He said, I want these pancakes. I said, just go get the egg. It's there. She's waiting for you. You don't have to go inside. She's in her pajamas too, I promise. He goes, look at me. I haven't brushed my teeth. I haven't brushed my hair. I'm in my pajamas. I said, just go throw on some jeans. Walk over there. Go get the egg. It's there. The egg's right there, 50 yards away. Pancakes. He says, uh-uh. I cannot. Look at how I am right now. I cannot go over there. So he sits there. I said, okay, you want oatmeal? I'll make you some oatmeal. He goes, Okay. He wouldn't go. He would not go. So then about five minutes later, Ansley comes in the kitchen and Noble says, hey, Ansley, if you go next door and get that egg, we can have pancakes. <laughs> Ansley ran, put her boots on. She comes to me. She says, can I go in my pajamas? I said, sure. She goes, okay. I mean, her, she looked like a hot mess. Her hair was in a French braid, and she had slept and looked like she had rubbed it all over. Her hair is bing, sticking out everywhere, and she's in these giraffe pink print pajamas, and she's got these black boots with some big purple fur on them, and she just looked awesome, but she didn't consider one thing about herself. She did not look in the mirror. She didn't think twice. She thought, I can have pancakes. I go get that egg. I got pancakes. She was back in a flash, and she came back with two eggs. <laughs> so a lot of times, God's telling you, go get the egg. You can have it. Go get the egg. That thing you want, you can have it. Go get the egg 50 yards away. And we, we look at ourselves and we think, have you seen me? You see what I look like? I cannot do that. Yes, you can. Just go get the egg. So when you think about that, when, when you ask God, I, I challenge you to ask God for something today. Go before him. Seek him. Inquire of him. Ask him something. Expect an answer. He's going to give you an answer. But when it comes to go get the egg, are you going to consider, mm, I'm not really good enough. 
That's too, that's too much, Jesus. That's too much. I mean, that's too much blessing. I can't take that. I don't deserve that. Yes, you can. He loves you that much. He wants you to have it. He wants you to be blessed. You're his kids. You're a reflection of him in the earth. He wants other people to look at you and say, wow, God likes you. What is it about you? You should come to church and find out. God does love me. He loves you too. Come on. That's exactly what he wants. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, give all your worries and your cares to God, for he cares about you. He cares about you. He cares about all those things that you care about that nobody else knows about, those little things that get on your nerves. He knows, and he cares about them. One time I was um, mowing our lawn. This was many years ago before we had kids, and and Kevin was at work, and we had someone coming to stay with us, and we had a little push mower. And I liked, believe it or not, we had the push mower. I liked to get out there and, and push mow the yard. It was fun. It was not hard to do, and <laughs> you liked it too. We had a little tiny yard. And so I could push mow the whole thing in 20 minutes, front and back, probably. And so I remember, though, we had a, a guest minister, another children's pastor, who was coming to stay with us for a conference. And so we were always taught to... Um, provide a place and, and make it an honorable and give him everything. I called to see what his favorite breakfast was. I, I, what do you drink? What kind of milk do you like? I remember I went and bought D milk because he liked D milk and I put it in my refrigerator. I wanted him to come and to feel welcome and to not have to ask for anything. So I got food that he liked. I made sure the room was stocked. I made sure that he had directions on how to get to the conference and from the conference because we had to leave early and late. I wanted, I wanted to really be a blessing to this person who was coming to stay with us. So I was outside, he was coming that day, and I'm outside mowing the lawn, and I finished the front, and I'm in the back, and this was so important to me. Nobody else probably even knew, Kevin knew, he knew we were working together trying to make this really special and nice, be a blessing to somebody. We were just thankful to have a house and them to ask us, can we host somebody? We were so excited that I have a spare bedroom, I can host somebody, I feel, feel kind of special, feel kind of grown up, I want to be a blessing. And so... Um, so we had it all prepared. Now, last thing I have to do is mow the lawn. I'm in the backyard, and the clouds are just coming over. I mean, it is about to pour. It is about to let loose. And I had it half done. And I thought, man, I don't want this person to come over. He probably would never look in the backyard. His window was not even facing the backyard. or He couldn't even see it. But it was important to me. I cared about it deeply. I was trying to give this thing my all and do my best. And I remember pushing that mower I said, God, I need you to do this. And I had just heard how in Joshua, it talks about Joshua's fighting a battle for Israel. And he made the sun stand still so that he had enough time for him and his army to whoop the other army. And God let him do it. So I said, God, you got to hold back the rain. you got to hold back the rain. I had the word. See, I came before God with a question. I'm inquiring of the Lord. I need you to hold back this rain. You did it for Joshua. You made the sun stand still and the moon stand still so that he could whoop the army. You can do it. This can happen for me too. God's no respecter of persons. So I'm pushing that mower. God, I, I need you. I want this to be excellent for this person. I'm trying to be a blessing. You know, I, I'm, and I'm doing this out, out of my heart because you love them. And so immediately I stopped because the Holy Spirit spoke, spoke right there. He said, because he loves you that much, he'll do it for you. And I stopped. I let go of the mower. Mower cut off, and I just started dancing right there in the yard. I was so excited. I'm sure if my neighbors looked out, they probably thought, what is she doing? I did not care. Holy Spirit just said, because God loves you that much, he's going to do this for you. 
So then I just got so happy, and I'm laughing, I'm giggling. Kevin's not home, I'm, I'm by myself, and I'm pushing, and I'm pushing fast, but I'm, I know God's going to hold the rain back, and he's doing it because he loves me, because he loves me. And I probably look so silly. I remember thinking, if they're looking outside right now, I just don't care because he loves me that much. And I'm sure that's how David felt whenever he danced before the Lord, and his wife got mad at him and said, what, what are you doing? What a disgrace. You need to stop doing that. And he was praising the Lord, and he told her, he said, I'll do even more vile things for, than this. I'll praise the Lord until all my clothes fall off. If that's what it takes, I'm going to give God my best praise. So right there, I was giving my God my best praise, and I'm pushing that mower, and I'll never forget, I'm, I'm on my last strip. I have one more strip, and, and I had felt a few sprinkles, but I'm pushing, and by this time, I'm just in complete laughter. And as soon as I push into the garage, the mower made it in. As soon as my first foot hit the concrete, the rain, my other foot hadn't even made it in the door yet. I could feel it on the back of my calf. The rain is pouring down. And I just completely started laughing. So I pushed the mower in there and I went out and danced in the rain. I got completely soaking wet, but I was so excited because he loves me that much. He'll do it for you. He'll do it for you. He did it for Joshua. Whatever that thing that is in your life that is huge, that is a mountain, God can take care of it. When you trust him, you give him honor and praise. You go before him knowing he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And without a shadow of doubt, I know you got this. I'm not considering anything about me, about my past, about my failure, about my crazy family. I'm not considering anything except you are awesome. You're great. And you love me that much. You do it for me. The last thing I want to show you in Isaiah 65 Blessing. And the, the Lord showed this to me, and I, my, I actually had tears come into my eyes when I read this. This is God talking. He's talking to Israel here. He said, I was ready to respond, but no one asked for help. I was ready to be found, but no one was looking for me. He said, here I am, here I am to the nation that did not call on my name. All day long, I opened my arms to a rebellious people. All day long, he opened his arms to a rebellious people. He saw they were rebellious. He saw their mistakes. He saw their sin, yet his arms are still wide open. All day long, I opened my arms to rebellious people, but they followed their own evil path and their own crooked schemes. All day long, they insulted me to my face by worshiping idols in sacred gardens, and they burned incense on pagan altars. At night, they went out among the graves, worshiping the dead, and they ate pigs, they ate flesh of pigs, and they made stews out of other forbidden food. Yet they say to each other, don't come too close to me. You'll defile me. I'm holier than you. These people are a stench in my nostrils, an acrid smell that never goes away. I thought, God, I don't ever, I don't ever want to be like that. Because right here, when you see, you see his character, you see his heart. I'm ready to respond, but no one's asking me anything. I'm ready to be found, but nobody's looking for me. He's trying. He's standing there with his arms open, and that's how he is today. He's still the same. He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you've got a problem, don't wait one more day. Inquire of the Lord. Praise him. Give him honor and glory because it's due his name. Then ask him in full assurance of faith that he's going to talk back to you, and he's going to give you a great plan, and it may not make sense. It may not make sense to you at first, but if you take one step at a time, 
And he may just give you one step in the beginning. And that's okay. Take that step until you know what to do next. You stop and you say, I did it. I did my one step. Glory to God. What's the next step? Tell me what to do next. One step at a time. So let's pray. Let's pray right now. Thank you, Lord, for this service. I'm thankful that we gather together in your name to give you honor and praise and we worship you because you're a holy, amazing, marvelous God and you want to be a marvelous help to us. You're the same God as as in Isaiah 65 we read about, that you're ready to respond, but no one's asking. Your arms are outstretched, but nobody's coming to you. Father, let us not be a people like that. Let our hearts not be hardened. I thank you, Father, that as we pray today, as we come together in the name of Jesus, that you're softening hard hearts this morning. Anything that's been calloused by experiences in life or by sin, I thank you, Father, that you remove that off of our heart this morning to see your goodness, to see your love, and to come before you and stand before you in full assurance of faith, realizing and seeing your love for us, realizing and seeing that you sent Jesus to die for us. You know, I talked about fear, fearing the Lord, and you have nothing to be afraid of once you have Jesus in your life. But if you're at that point and you don't have Jesus in your life yet, you do have something to really fear. Because the judgment, the penalty of sin is death. And until you have Jesus in your heart, until you have asked for his blood to wash you clean of all your mistakes, that's a dangerous place to be. I'm so thankful. His mercy is so great because we've all missed it. Every person in this room has fallen short. But his grace and his mercy is so abundant. So I encourage you today, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, that's the very first step. And from there, that fear that may be an afraid or a terror turns into holy respect and reverence for a God who picked you up out of the miry clay and set you on the rock, who saved you from hell and gives you an eternal life in heaven with him where it's fun and it's happy and there's no sadness and there's no weeping. So I challenge you today, if you've never done that, that's your first step. I'd like you to raise your hand if that's something you want to do. We'll pray with you with everybody's eyes closed. This is your, your time with God. This is your moment. Don't let it pass you by. Maybe there's somebody here who maybe you've, you've gone away from God. You've let some of those things in your life that you've considered your own self and you've pushed yourself out of the presence of God. You just need to come right back before him and you need to do the forgiveness part where it says, God, forgive me and I forgive others. If that's you, I ask you to raise your hand. You want to come back close to God this morning. It says when you draw close to him, when you take a step towards him, he takes a step towards you. He's, our, he's, he's there right there with his arms outstretched waiting for you to come. Everybody repeat this after me. Say, Father God, I thank you. You're merciful. You're gracious. I recognize you are holy. I respect you. I revere you. The fear of the Lord is in my house. I'm not afraid of you, but I have a holy awe, a holy respect for you and I love you, I need you, I need you in my life, I need you in my family. I will not be ashamed to come before you and inquire, to ask, to seek. I will not consider myself, my own problems, my own failures, my own successes, 
I only consider you, your power, your glory, your love, your forgiveness, your peace. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen.